I'm Kenzie Wilbur, host of the Burnt Toast podcast, and on every episode, I'm joined by the most interesting people in the food world. Sometimes to talk about slowing down in the kitchen. To really stand for a minute over the stove when those onions are caramelizing in butter and just saying, oh God, this is one of the grace moments of the day. And sometimes we're in the kitchen ourselves. The meatloaf is out of the oven and something bad happens to it. It's a podcast for people who never stop wondering about food. Subscribe to Burnt Toast, a podcast from Food 52, on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Sex Lives, the New York Magazine sex podcast. I'm David Wallace-Wells, and with me today, as always, are Maureen O'Connor, New York sex columnist. Hey, Maureen. Hey, David. And Allison Davis of The Cut. Hey, Allison. Hey, David. We got a great show for you this week, but first we wanted to remind you about the Sex Lives voicemail box. You can call us at 646-494-3590. We're going to end each episode now with answers to the question we asked in the last episode. Um, That's coming up later, but first we're talking orgasms. Um, Orgasms of a kind that probably very few, if maybe any of you, have had. We're going to be talking with Sophie St. Thomas, who recently wrote a piece for Vice about temporary post-orgasmic hearing loss, so like deafening orgasms. That is not like when someone is so loud that it deafens you, but when the (laughs) orgasm is so hard that you are deafened. And we're also going to be talking to Deborah Pascali Bonaro, who directed a documentary called Orgasmic Birth, which is a bit of a weird documentary, which feels almost like a work of advocacy, but also has some unbelievable testimonials in it. Um, And before we get to that, this is a subject I've been wanting to bring up on this podcast (laughs) for a while because I've realized how uncomfortable I am saying any word for vagina that is not vagina. And I wanted to ask you about men talking about pussy (laughs) and what is actually... Kosher. I'm like, you, you know, look so uncomfortable <laughs> saying the word pussy. I'm just so now. uncomfortable. It's funny because we've been emailing about it, and I'm totally comfortable writing it to you guys. Yeah. But saying it, say even pussy, which is like, to me anyway, would be the safest of the euphemisms, still makes me so uncomfortable. Wait, did I ever tell you how I have a great aunt named Pussy? Literally, my name. I'm not even kidding. I'm Shut not kidding. Up. It's an apparently, according to my family, who the hell knows if it's true? But this is the other Maureen. My great aunt Maureen, or she's like a great aunt removed, whatever. They claim that it's like an Irish nickname for a girl is Pussy, and she went by Pussy. And I really missed the opportunity to pick up the family Maureen nickname. <laughs> I, I guess there are always like some weird wasp variations on names. That I you remember just, like, you can't associate like bunny, with, like bunny. Yeah, or I remember all of us Buffy. giggling and some like old ladies being like, "I know what you think." you think that that's not allowed to be said anymore. And we're like, yeah, yeah. And they're like, because you can't call a woman a chick or a bunny rabbit. And I was like, oh, my God, that's absolutely not what we're thinking. But anyways, back to the matter back at hand. the vagina. I don't know. I think that you're, it's kind of, like there are so many words for vagina, so many slang terms. But if anybody were to call my vagina any of them, like I'd be so horrified and turned off. I think you're right. There are just so few words. Totally off limits. I just don't think it would go over well, no. I mean, if someone was like, oh, like, let me get in your punani. Like, I'm not, I'm like, that's not, that's not, it doesn't show. And we're talking about, of... like, not in a sexual situation, but in a sort of, like, flirting situation is what you're talking about, Yes, right? yeah. Because it's a little bit different if the clothes are off, I assume. I mean, like, you just can't control what comes out of your mouth, I guess. <laughs> like, I give people a pass. 
like really i think i give them less of a pass when they're in the presence of it but when you're like flirting or like sexting or you like you're supposed to be at your wittiest or like your best you know top of your game and the best you can do is like honeypot or vajayjay all of it just makes me feel like you're a bro who can't like talk about like my body the right way you know is there a right way that's what i'm wondering (laughs) i'm happy to talk about it the right way sort of i'm also just like looking at a great list right now and like read it like Harry Manilow, no one's ever gonna say that. <laughs> like, um, also a little dated. Uh, yeah, like Chocha. That's one that uh, Missy Elliott. Anyway, Beaver. I'm not cool with Beaver. I don't know. It seems like I'm cool with Beaver, but it's like kind of a specific type of vagina, and I feel like it's not actually the vagina itself. Cooter. Who's saying that? No one. Lady bits, I just find like oh, I can't do anything don't. with the word lady. Yeah, these are all ridiculous because I don't think anyone's ever gonna be like. And then I touched her thatched cottage or like, <laughs> you know, her petticoat lane wizard sleep. No, these aren't. I guess cupcakes okay. <laughs> you can go with cupcake. Cupcake. Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping that you guys were gonna like give me a little more room to maneuver. Yeah, sorry that was not very helpful. You're limited though. So. Nope. Dave's <laughs> <laughs> got no words, but we've got eight thousand words for, for penises. For a penis. Don cock. Dick. Everything. So we've been talking about acceptable euphemisms for pussy, which is not apparently an acceptable euphemism for pussy. Unless it's my aunt. <laughs> now let's get to our interview with Sophie St. Thomas and Deborah Pascali Bonaro to talk about orgasms like you've never heard them before. So we're here with Sophie St. Thomas, author of a recent piece for Vice entitled Science Explains Why You Sometimes Can't Hear After You Orgasm. Sophie, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, totally. And on the phone, we're joined by Deborah Pascali Bonaro, whose documentary Orgasmic Birth, The Best Kept Secret, was released in 2008. Deborah, thanks for joining us, too. It's a pleasure to be here with all of you. We're hoping to, like, break that secret. This is yeah. Like... <laughs> yeah, I, me too. That's good. I'm glad we're talking about it. But, Sophie, let's start with you. Um, so, yeah, tell us about how'd you, how'd you, like, catch on to this story? Just from it happening to me, honestly. Um, I felt kind of inadequate. I've <laughs> yeah, never had do. a deafening orgasm. Nope. Yeah, yeah. The first one was in high school. Um, oh, my wait, gosh. what? <laughs> through, through masturbation, because I obviously wasn't having the type of sex that could give me those orgasms in high school. Uh-huh. And um, I think, and I didn't, don't want to be misquoted on this, but I believe I saw Sue Johansson get a question about it on that show. Oh. Did you guys watch that? Um, yeah, talk, what that real, talk sex or real sex. She was like the old Canadian lady. The old Canadian yeah. lady. And I remember watching it in high school and being like, oh my God, that happens to me. And she couldn't come up with the answer. And then, so I guess now, over like a decade later, <laughs> I was just coming up with pitches and I had just recently had it happen to me during sex with another person and was like, I'm going to try to find out the answer to this. So what kind of deafness are, before before we get into the scientific explanation, uh-huh. which you found and is fascinating, but what 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 do you mean by deafness or temporary deafness? Well, that's how I ex- felt it. It just, it sort of feels like I'm underwater. Okay. If that makes sense. It's not like, I mean, I can still hear, but everything's muffled. It's kind of like, you know, wearing earplugs. And um, I, I talked to a, to a friend who this happened to, and her experience with it was more of a ringing ah. that was disrupting her hearing. And it's after the orgasm. And it's after right? the orgasm. For like yeah. a few seconds, maybe? Yeah, a few seconds, maybe a mm-hmm. minute, um, but then it just gradually goes away and it doesn't happen every time just you know on the 
on the really good ones sometimes. So it is like a sign of the like how hard. Oh yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> what you're describing is like what happens to me right before I barf. Like I, <laughs> like, I, I can't hear anything and like, like, like the world kind of melts away, but like never during sex. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> Sad. So what did you find yeah. out? What's the what's at the bottom of it? Well. The funny thing is, at first, I didn't think I was going to be able to write the piece because I had reached out to basically every doctor I could find, every medical contact, and there is no research on the subject. Like, what I heard from ENTs and, you know, OBGYNs, and, you know, everyone was that. They had heard about this, but there were no research papers on it. And through the power of Twitter, I found a Australian but practicing out of Canada ENT surgeon Dr. Eric Levy who was amazing enough to do research for me basically oh, wow. um, he just yeah came up with two hypotheses one is about the ear and it basically happens as he describes it in the resolution phase which is right after you come um, there's pressure changes in your middle ear which change the acoustic the acoustics of your ear you know to think of it like a concert venue mm-hmm. And that leads to muffled hearing. And there's also a reduction of blood flow to your inner ear, which means you're not getting as many nutrients as you normally would through your ear. And that can lead to funky signaling to your brain. So, you know, kind of just new meaning to getting your brains fucked out, I guess. (laughs) And then the other theory is more about the brain. And I guess during sex, your prefrontal cortex, which is the decision making, and the temporal lobe, which controls the hearing, both turn off. And if turn the, totally off? Oh, God. I must not turn totally off. They're affected. But yeah. they dampen yeah. way down. Dampen way down. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. It <laughs> sounds like you know what's Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you're losing your mind a little. So you're losing your mind a little. One of the little, parts of your mind yeah, is and the hearing part. Which can, yeah, so there's sensory changes. So mm-hmm. that's what's happening. So it's just blood pressure. I, I think I relate for some reason, not that I'm a scientist, but the blood pressure, when I think of myself, that sounds right. I feel like I can kind of feel the blood change going into my mm-hmm. ears. And how long does the effect last for you? Just about a minute, you know, just kind of enough to be in, like, a stupor, you know, Uh and not have to talk to anyone. (laughs) It's amazing. One of the things I also was Mm -hmm. thinking about as you, um, when I read that column of yours, is how many bizarre sort of side effects or little things happen sort of during an orgasm that you're like, I've never actually described that. Or, wait, what is that? Is that normal or not? Absolutely. Um, Yeah, which was so sort of surprising to me, the number of sort of... I mean, we talked, you know, in previous episodes about the different ways women achieve orgasm, but then what actually happens during the orgasm seems like it can have have so much variance. Right. Yeah. Deborah, how does this sound to you? Is this like yeah. rhyme with your own sense of things? Yeah, you know, I, I have to say initially I was like, okay, how are we going to bring these together? But when you got into the science, it really made sense because it is really important that that thinking part of the brain, the neocortex, has to get out of the way both in our sexuality and to give birth as safe and easy and to find pleasure in childbirth. Deborah, maybe can you tell us a little bit about how the Orgasmic Birth documentary came to be? Sure. Um, I've been a doula and a childbirth educator and attending many births and supporting people in birthing both here and around the world for many years. And I was both with people and then you know, had many stories of people that had these moments of pleasure and a few really blessed women that truly had what we call a birthgasm. And I think it's important to say that orgasmic birth includes those that have those incredible sensations of orgasms, but it's also about moments of pleasure, joy, bliss, ecstasy. It's about knowing that birth offers so much more and we haven't had a vocabulary for it. 
And it was a lack of that vocabulary and a lack of us really talking that birth is a part of our sexual life. Your documentary was amazing because you filmed a lot of these births and it seems like such an intimate thing. How did you know that these particular people were going to, that anyone was actually going to have an orgasm during their birth? Or how did you know that these people in particular were going to experience pleasure before you started filming? I didn't, but I Mm -hmm. did know that given the right conditions and the right preparation, it really enhances the opportunity that it could happen. And that's exactly what we caught on film is people that really didn't necessarily, and I don't want anybody listening to think that they want to add having an orgasm and birth to their birth plan because it's not something you really (laughs) plan for. And, you know, I don't want anyone feeling disappointed, but a lot of women that have birthgasms have it happen absolutely spontaneous no preparation um out of the blue strangers in the room they weren't even thinking they're actually a lot of women that i've been with or that have talked to me about it or written to me are almost ashamed they're like why did this happen in this situation and some of that is just like you were talking about with the ear it's physiology the baby's coming down into the vagina typically hitting the g-spot There's a lot of trigger of both sensation that's going there and in the physiology, the hormones that need to have labor get stronger and more intense are our same hormones of orgasm. And they actually fire in the exact same sequence as orgasm. So you really have the perfect environment for it to happen. And there are some women that literally take this into their own hands and during labor will masturbate during contractions. I've been attending births where people are starting to bring vibrators and saying, you know, why don't I give this a try before I look to alternatives? Not only do they get a huge reduction in pain, but typically when you're in a pleasure state, your vagina opens by two inches, it gets wet, all the kind of things you want to help more easily birth a baby. Like you mentioned the idea of say a woman having spontaneously having an orgasm during birth and be sort of embarrassed. Like to me when I imagine the situation in which I would least want to experience the feeling of orgasm, I imagine that like having a child being surrounded by my family that seems like such a strange moment for it to me. Yeah, but you have other surprises, right, that are probably <laughs> more embarrassing than just like having an yeah, orgasm I suppose. like yeah. you know, pooping the bed or like, <laughs> Yeah, I know I all know, the like, surprises that can happen. Husband. There's like a lot that can go on. This feels like a best case. That's true. (laughs) All the, like, yeah, poop yourself, horrible accidents. Right. (laughs) Does it it feel like, I don't know, like, again, I I hope I'm not coming across as offensive, but to me to think about, like, the little person that I'm bringing into the world being responsible for, like, hitting my G-spot in a way that gives me an orgasm just, like, kicks up some weird Oedipal stuff for me. Maybe I'm just repressed prude. I don't know. But, like, is that that something that... Is that something your patients talk about, Deborah? Um, You know, the women that have experienced orgasmic birth and whatever, that's never, ever come up to me. It's come up from the people that haven't experienced (laughs) it. I have not. I have to say (laughs) that the people that experience it really feel that it's a, you know, although it's a pleasurable sensation, it is about love. And they in no way equated any weird sexuality Mm. onto their child. They actually countered, actually felt that, you know, that joy, that love that you feel. And they thought, you know, isn't it incredible, instead of telling my child all its life that you gave me the worst pain and this was horrible, which why are we culturally okay with that? 
they really feel like they birthed their child in love and that mm. they totally separate that love different from the kind of sexual love that they'd have with an intimate partner. Is it, I mean, is it the same type of orgasm that happens during sex or is this some sort of different full body experience emanating from the vagina? Definitely a full body experience. As a matter of fact, I haven't been blessed to experience the full orgasm. I feel I had an orgasmic birth in really heightened pleasure, but Uh. not the rolling orgasm. And the women that have the rolling orgasms, the really big, what we call birthgasms, actually say it was the best one of their entire life. It was so full body and so expansive that they said there's like no comparison. I believe we have some audio from your documentary. If maybe we can play that and discuss it. Through each rush that I was having, I was actually purring, completely relaxing into the moment without any fear of experiencing pain. And in that, my body translated the sensation as pleasure rather than pain. And I ended up having two incredible rolling orgasms that just poured through me. <laughs> that was a little bit of a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to say right now. <laughs> I know everybody got quiet. I love it. So that's Amber, and she really, I mean, we're all jealous of her, right? I mean, she had the most orgasmic experience. And as she said, it was a surprise. So mm-hmm. she did not, you know, wasn't the women I were talking about earlier that were really trying to stimulate pleasure. It really just happened for her. Do you know anything about, say, the science of this, whether it be, you know, biological, physical um, stuff? You mentioned, say, a baby hitting a G-spot or other, I don't know, just research on it at all? There is a lot of research coming out right now around orgasm and how orgasm in childbirth is working. Again, Rutgers is doing some of it more out of Sweden as well at the Karolinska Institute. Mm -hmm. And they are showing that, one, the physical pathway of hitting the G-spot into the pelvic floor, the vagina, the hormones are clearly there. Um, The hormone, we say the hormone of love is oxytocin. And when females are sexually aroused, one of the first hormones we produce is oxytocin, the same hormone that we need to produce in labor for labor contractions. And as we go deeper into arousal, we release a hormone called beta endorphin. It's our pleasure hormone that comes in childbirth when labor starts getting a little bit harder. And interesting, the hormone that pushes us to orgasm every day is cortisol and adrenaline. Right at the right moment gives you the push to orgasm and the sensations that you feel in your body and then the ecstasy that you feel in your mind. And that's the same sequence in childbirth. But why more women don't have an orgasmic birth is the same with sex. If we get nervous, afraid, We get adrenaline or cortisol early on. We feel stressed. We're in our head as we come to the beginning of the conversation. We have to let go of our everyday thoughts. We have to go to that other place. So if we're brought into staying conscious, too many people watching us, not feeling private and observed, 
then adrenaline will actually, in our sexuality, not allow us to start getting juicy and open. Mm-hmm. And in birth, it will actually slow or prolong the labor. And I think so many of our long, hard labors and people that have had long, hard labors can't imagine that there could be pleasure in birth because the environment is not helping them to get to that place. The environment is really controlling labor in a way. How many of you have had good, pleasurable sex with lots of orgasms in a hospital room? (laughs) Only some very specific fetishists, I think. (laughs) Before we go, maybe we should play one more clip. Sure. Right. Um, So I think we have that clip from Elizabeth Davis um, discussing sort of the combination of the feelings that happen during birth and the feelings of pleasure. Women will, if they're allowed to, if they have the freedom to, they will stand up, they will lean forward, they will open their mouths, and they will roar, or they will scream. This release of adrenaline and this need to get upright is really the height of the passion that needs to happen to bring the baby down. Deborah, I'm wondering, so I was reading now on the sort of the subject of orgasmic birth. There was a 2013 study in France. They surveyed about 1,000 midwives. They found that about Mm -hmm. 0.3% of births women um, were reported to be orgasmic, which is a pretty small percentage. Um, Do do you think that that number is capable of being different, or is it different in your practice? The one thing that I have a problem with the study is they asked the midwives, they didn't ask the women. Mm-hmm. And what I find from women all the time that have had birthgasms and real pleasure in birth, some of them haven't even told their partners. Like they were embarrassed it happened. They don't look up and say to everybody in the room, guess what just <laughs> happened? Um, so, you know, they're not necessarily going to look up to their midwife and doctor and tell them. So I think if we really want to get more accurate numbers, we need to ask women. And Ina Mae Gaskin, a great midwife here in the U.S., did Mm -hmm. just that. And she asked the women in her practice, and she found almost 20%. Goodness, I know. When I imagine it, though, it seems like of all the sort of the pressure to have orgasms during sex, the pressure to do your birth correctly, the pressure to have an orgasm during birth just sounds like the most sort of intense double whammy of of what a human female body can do. And I would never want, that's what I said earlier, nobody should make this like a goal of birth. Mm -hmm. You want to have a safe, healthy birth, satisfying. And if you can have a toolkit available to you, so when you do experience moments of pain, you can decide if you feel comfortable using touch and kissing or clitoral stimulation to decrease pain, not necessarily with the final goal of orgasm. And you can use many pleasure techniques in life that can bring you pleasure in birth. And if orgasm happens, that's an extra little treat. (laughs) Got it. Well, thanks so much for for coming on. Our guests uh, have been Sophie St. Thomas and Deborah Pascal Bonaro. Thanks again to both of you for coming by. Thanks for having or me. Or calling in, as the case may be. Yeah, if you if yeah. you ever have a child, Sophie, remember to let us know if you go <laughs> okay. deaf or not. Okay, I will. <laughs> Thanks, guys.
last week we asked you to call in with your stories of sexual pet peeves. I wasn't sure any of you would be able to top Allison's sexual pet peeve, but a few of you tried. Hey, so calling with the answer to the last question on sexual pet peeves. I wanted to say that the vagina slapping, I actually really like that. So I guess like there are women that like that. Um, I've actually even asked the guys to do that. That is definitely not a pet peeve and with the right partner, really good. Hello, um, I have a minor sex annoyance that I would love to see if anyone else shares with me. I am a gay man, and I've often been told that because of this, that I might have, uh, uh, what am I trying to say, um, intimacy issues. I do not like it when a guy continues to either give me head or give me a hand job after I've already come. Like, for me, that moment when I come, it's like, Okay, that's, thank you. Like, it, it becomes very sensitive, and I just don't want there to be any more sensation there. And maybe that's just me, and maybe I maybe I have issues, but I would love to know if there's anyone else out there. Um, thank you. For this week, we want to hear about your um, favorite and least favorite sexual euphemisms, but more importantly, we'd like to hear from you if you've had an orgasm while giving birth or possibly in some other strange, unlikely, or unusual situation. They're like, if anything weird happens when you orgasm, do you go deaf? Do you go blind? Have you seen anything weird happen? Like somebody spontaneously <laughs> having a baby as soon as they <laughs> orgasm. Leave us a message at 646-494-3590. And that's it for Sex Lives. Thanks to Sophie St. Thomas and Deborah Pascali Bonaro for coming on. Our producer, Sam Dingman. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. See you guys next time, and thanks for listening. Bye.